that's not perfect. You have a good, good father. Have you paused to thank your daddy? Have you paused to thank your father this week? Or have you just been going through the week thinking about what you got to get to next? Or have you paused for a moment to thank your father? To declare his majesty, his goodness, his faithfulness towards us? He's not like an earthly father. He, he won't walk out on you. He won't leave you nor forsake you. Our Heavenly Father is a good father. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. I'd like to take a moment just to thank Sister and our good friend, Sister Tasha Hatchett, for leading us in worship. Son Orrin on the keys. Amen. Praise God for him. Amen. Amen. And is my volume good? I can't hear. All right. They can't hear me in the back. Well, on this Memorial Day weekend, just want to pause for a moment to reflect on the lives of, uh, of those veterans, those people in the armed forces who have given their lives in that sacred duty of defending this nation. So if you would, if you are a veteran, have served in the military in any way, please stand. Let us give the Lord a hand clap of praise for your faithfulness. Any veterans in the house, any Thank you for your service to this nation. And praise God that your service doesn't end when you are no longer enlisted with the United States uh, in any United States military branch. Because we know when we surrender to Jesus Christ, we begin to fight in the Lord's army. For each and every day, we like it or not, if you recognize it or not, each and every day you're doing hand-to-hand combat with Satan and his minions. It's called spiritual warfare. You just thought your boss was cranky this morning. Satan is trying to take you down. You thought your husband and wife just had an attitude. Satan is trying to drive a wedge in between you. Each and every day, we are engaged in battle. But praise God that the end of my book says the victory is already won. We've already had the victory in Christ Jesus. We're merely walking out the story that, that the Lord has in store. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, this morning... We want to say good morning to each and every one of you, and uh, welcome to all of our guests. I pray that the Lord will uh, indeed bless you upon this morning, that he would give us 
eyes to see and ears to hear his word in new and fresh ways that uh, we would leave this place, place changed and transformed. Not just excited momentarily, but excited eternally because of the power of Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we'll finish looking at the fourth chapter of Galatians. So if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Galatians, the fourth chapter. And last week we began looking at what it means to be a part of the family of God. We saw in verses 26 through 29 of the third chapter that faith defines the family of God. So if there's any summary of last week's sermon, last week we talked about who was in the family of God and how they got there. This week we're going to finish up by talking about what it means to live with one another in the family of God. And what family you are a part of. So last week we discussed how faith defines the family. How faith applies the family to God through his spirit. And when the spirit of God is applied to your heart, it is only then can you cry out to God as Abba Father. Until the Holy Spirit applies himself to your heart. God is just the big man upstairs. He is just an authority figure in your life. But once God applies his spirit into your heart, God becomes daddy. The adoption papers have been signed with the blood of Christ and you belong to him. But this morning we'll see two additional ways that faith forms the family of God. We'll see that faith fosters family through God and faith binds the family for God. So if you would, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Galatians, the fourth chapter. I'll be reading verses 8 through 31. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to, uh, to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also know how I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you have, would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 
I wish I could be present with you now and, and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who des desire to be under the, under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. This is part two of our series, Family by Faith. Family by Faith. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and eternal Father. We do thank you for who you are, for you are a good, good father. Lord, we cannot fathom the depths of your goodness. For Lord, sin has so crippled our comprehension of you. Sin has so defiled and, and lowered our eyes that we cannot see your glory. But yet, Lord, even in the midst of our brokenness, you reveal yourself in tremendous and marvelous ways. For even this entire week, Lord, you, you put food on our table. You put clothes on our backs. You kept us and protected us from danger seen and unseen. You allowed us to get to and fro from our jobs. You blessed us with strength of body and of mind. Father, for that, you're good. But yet, Lord, before you did one thing for us, you were already good. For eternity past, you have always existed and you have always been good. So, Father, I ask that in your goodness you would have mercy upon us, that you would open up our eyes unto your word and you would open up our ears, that we would hear your word and you would prepare our hearts to receive your word in a special way. Father, I ask that you would humble us this morning that you would crush our pride and our self-determination. That you would reveal to us just how much we need you. And that without your presence in our life, the next breath would not be there apart from your presence. And Father, we need you in this place to bring forth a worship that is worthy of your name. But, Father, if we try to worship you out of our own strength, it would be lacking. But, Father, may your spirit come forth and birth a exuberant praise unto you this morning. Dear God, may we be excited 
just because of who you are. Father, please forgive us for our sins, that the very thing that hinders us having worship with you this morning. Father, we find our hearts cold and, and our minds dull. Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us and convict us of our sin, that we may repent and enter into a perfect communion with you right now. Have mercy. Father, I ask that you will send your spirit. I may speak your word. Please speak to us, O Lord, for your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' precious name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in the the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, uh, we see an, an incredible example of solidarity and faithfulness in the friendship of David and Jonathan. And the Bible says that though they were not biological brothers, they had a bond that made them even closer. See, David and Jonathan weren't blood brothers, but they were soul brothers. So close were they that when Saul... Jonathan's father sought to kill David. Jonathan sided with his spiritual family over his biological family. Incredible unity. The Proverbs talk about this type of relationship in Proverbs 18, 24. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What a relationship. And this is the type of familiar bond that Paul wants the Galatians to understand when he says that if they are in Christ, then they are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In Christ, they are now part of the same family, the, the family of God. This is not a biological family. This is a supernatural spiritual family. This is, a, this is a family created by faith alone. See, but others in this text we see have come in their midst, and they are saying that the Galatians could only belong to the family of God if their performance was acceptable. The Galatians would only be included if they left their culture, their heritage behind, and became Jews. See, their problem is our problem. See, when it comes to being part of God's family, we tend to offer acceptance to those who are able to keep the rules. Hampered by our own insecurities, we think being family is about our performance, our ability, and that becomes our identity. See, but this is not the gospel of grace, is it? For the gospel of grace fosters a type of unity that transcends all, transcends all other types of bonds. The gospel of grace reconstructs the normal family unit. The gospel has radical social implications. It means that I am a Christian before I am anyone or anything else. You get that? It's radical. Before you're anything else, you're a Christian. See, this is the depth of unity that Paul 
was trying to foster in the Galatians before they were led astray by these Judaizers. Led away by this performance-driven salvation. And this morning we see the, the, the vision that performance-based acceptance brings upon the body of Christ. And we see what family this same performance-driven acceptance puts you in. What family are you a part of this morning? So first we see that faith fosters family through God. Looking at text in verses 8 through 10, Paul begins to pause for a moment and he, and he, he walks through and begins to speak of this reality of being a family and that it's not always easy being a family. Amen? It's not easy being a family and the Galatians are making it real hard right now. And Paul is, is, is struggling with what's going on, but yet he's hopeful because if they truly belong to Christ, they'll wake up. Because the Galatians, they, are, they have given over to this sinful desire to prove themselves as individuals. And that is hindering the formation of Christ within their hearts collectively. They're focused on themselves, so Christ is not conforming them collectively. May we be so warned. So in these verses, Paul begins and he says, he says something interesting. He says, formerly, when you did not know God. What is Paul saying? Paul said, there was a time in your life when you did not know God. And for the Galatians being Gentiles, that, that Paul is referring to their time in paganism. They were, they were worshiping idols. They were living for their own pleasure. They were sacrificing to false gods. And Paul is saying, see, before you came to, to know Christ, don't forget where you came from. You used to be out there in the streets, off the hook, acting crazy, running your mouth about things you don't even know about. But, but that's how you used to be. But Paul is bringing that to mind to remind them when you become part of a new family, there's some things that change in your life. Some things you let go. They were into sexual immorality. And these selfish pursuits were for, for personal desires alone. That, that's paganism. They were worshiping these false gods, attempting to please these gods in order that those gods would give them what they want. Beloved, we must be careful not to fall into paganism when we're worshiping God. We can see God as this genie in the sky. And if I pray enough or if I read my Bible enough or if I behave enough, then God is going to give me the very things that I want. We're serving God out of a pagan desire then. Selfish desires. But then Paul moves on and he says, but now that you have come to know God, better yet, rather known by God. What is Paul saying? Paul saying that you weren't really looking for God, but God was looking for you. And when he found you, he saved you, he rescued you. When God knows your name, when your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, God knows you. And you are his and, you, uh, and he is yours. So when Paul is talking about rather they're known by God, so Paul, he's talking about salvation. You've been saved. And the way that this salvation has come is by grace and grace alone. It is not your work, but it's by, by God's infinite wisdom and his amazing love for broken folks like us. He came and offered you salvation. 
this grace, instead of a selfish pursuit after personal desires, grace is a selfless pursuit of us through Jesus. He has come looking for us. Beloved, when it, when it comes to faith and being part of the family of God, faith fosters family because salvation is not who you know, but who knows you. Salvation is all about God knowing you. You, you can tell me all these things. Well, I know God, and, and I, I worship God, and I follow God, and he knows my name. But does he really know your name? It reminds me of, in Acts, the, the scene of the sons of Sceva. That Paul, is, Paul is ministering, and he's doing all these uh, amazing miracles in the name of Christ. And, and some folks come along, some religious folks, they want to jump on the bandwagon. They want to be sweet like Paul. So they begin to go out and try to heal folks. But instead of healing out of the personal relationship that they know for God themselves, they begin to evoke God's presence by the God of Paul. They bring that up in front of a demon. A demon just laughs at him like, I know Jesus. I know Paul. But I don't know you. And convince the whooping on their head. Run them about the house naked. What, well, I mean, what does that even mean? There's times in our lives where we think we are tight with God, but God doesn't even know our name. And we're trying to fight against demons. That's why we keep getting a whooped, up, a whooped upside our head all the time. That's why we keep losing the battle and losing the victory because God don't know your name. The approach is not about who you know. See, that's the earthly approach, isn't it? We always worry about who we know. When we see someone famous, well, the first thing we do, can I take a picture with you and put it on Instagram? Oh, look, look who I met. Look who I know. Well, why do we do that? Because there, there's, this, there's this notoriety that if we able to get to somebody else that has a reputation, then maybe we can have a reputation too. Don't treat Jesus like an Instagram post. Because at the end of the day, you may know that person you're taking a picture with, but when they walk away, they don't know who you are. You may have the postcard, the photograph. You may have the Facebook post like you know that person, but they don't know you. Don't treat God like an Instagram post because you're walking around, act like you know God and Jesus don't know you. Are you part of the family of God? Paul is, he's amazed, and he says, how can you turn back from this family? How can you turn back from this love? How, how can you turn back from this relationship? And what he does is amazing here. He says, okay, you Galatians, you used to be pagan. You used to worship false gods, demons. But now you are going back into a form of bondage. They were relapsing back into paganism. And what Paul is saying is, is law-keeping is a religious form of paganism. Earning your salvation is just as enslaving as immoral practices. On one side, you have people living off the hook, living life for themselves, doing and saying whatever they want in paganism because they want to satisfy themselves. But then on the other side, you have people who, who are just religious. They don't know Jesus, but they want to keep the rules, and they want to tell you what the rules are to satisfy themselves. 
So it's still paganism. And Paul is warning them. How do we know that that's what Paul is talking about? Because in verse 10, he says, you observe days and months. What is he talking about? Within the Jewish calendar, there were times that they were to uh, observe the Sabbath years and the holy days. And he's saying, you worried about these days. You should be worried about your soul. You worried about things that don't really matter because once Christ has set you free from the law, you are free indeed. So, so what is Paul saying? Paul is reminding the Galatians that their religion is worthless, no matter what form it comes in. Religion is the opposite of a relationship. We know religion. We grew up in religion. When you go to church, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to say that. You don't wear this. You do wear that. And there's all these rules that seem to come with living a Christian life. But God says, no, it's not about the rules. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Do you know Jesus for yourself? See, religion says, I pray. But guess what, beloved? Muslims pray. Religion says, I go to church. I go to worship. Beloved, Hindus go to worship. Religion says that I study my Bible. Beloved, Jehovah's Witness study their Bible. And they might know their Bible better than you. See, religion says, well, I've gone on a mission trip. Beloved, Mormons go on mission trips. So if a Muslim, a Hindu, a Jehovah's Witness and a Mormon can do this religious stuff. What makes your walk different? What makes you part of the family of God? Because you can do all this stuff and still be outside of the family. See, but only faith says, I know Jesus for myself. See, we're not slaves of religion. We are sons in a relationship. So in verses 8, 8 through 10, 8 through 11, he, he's walking them through to help them understand just what they're getting into. You're, you're back in pagan, paganism. But then he begins to address matters of the family. And he say, brothers, this is the first time that, that Paul calls them brothers in the text. He said, brothers, I entreat you. I beg you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. But what, what does he mean? Paul is simply saying, when I came to y'all, I didn't come as a stuck-up Jew. I came as a Gentile when I came to y'all. I wasn't trying to keep the law to, to make myself look sweet in front of you, but I let go of the law, and I entered into this, this, this covenant relationship with you because I know that God was calling you to himself. I've become as you are, so become as I am. Don't, don't forget your Gentileness and trying to be a Jew. Don't try to switch the game up all of a sudden and change everything about yourself in order to be someone else. But Paul, he, 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 he's relating to these Galatians, these Gentiles, not as a Jew. He relates to them as one who's free. It's not because he's circumcised that he's acceptable to God. It's not because he keeps the Sabbath day that makes him acceptable to God. He's acceptable to God because he has trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. Alone. Don't return to who you used to be. 
And then, and then Paul begins to explain, it, because when we're truly a family, we can put up with some stuff. See, that's what he's talking about. He says, because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, Paul was on one of his mission trips, and he had become ill. And at that time, he, he ended up coming to uh, the Galatians, and they began to care for him in his sickness. There's various uh, words on, on what his sickness may have been. Some believe he may have had malaria. Some believe uh, he had the eye disease. But, but, beloved, whatever the sickness was, it was nasty. Whatever it was, it would cause the ordinary, the common person to, to be repulsed, to step back. Y'all know how you, how you went close quarters with somebody, and then they start coughing. Now, not, not the, uh, uh, I'm just, uh, uh, and you like, what is that? You need a hose? Can I help you? And like we, like we were repulsed, and we stepped back. That's the type of illness that Paul had. But yet, even though his care was, was hard, and it was difficult. What does he say? He says, no, you, you didn't get rid of me. Matter of fact, you embraced me as if I was Christ Jesus himself. You cared well for me. And the Galatians, they cared well for Paul because of the gospel he preached. It was the gospel that Paul was carrying that caused them to love him like they did. To the point so that Paul is saying that you would have given me the best. You uh, th th this this phrase where he says you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. This is like a colloquial statement saying I would have given I would have given you my best, my all, everything. Paul is saying all I had to offer you was the gospel, but that was enough. But that was enough for me to receive your love. The gospel was enough for me to uh, receive your approval. The gospel was enough to knit our hearts together. Not my actions, because Paul is saying, if it was based upon my performance, you would not have loved me because I was worthless to you. I was laid up sick, but yet you still love me. You still care for me. Why? Because of the gospel of grace. Beloved, we, we get in our relationships and, and, and we expect people to live a certain way, to please us, to, to live up to our standards. And then we end up driving them away because we're living according to a gospel of law, not the gospel of grace. And Paul is trying to figure out what happened. Verse 16, what does he say? Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Ooh, I read that a couple times. Have I become your enemy that something's changed in our relationship? I, our relationship is not as sweet as it used to be. Has our relationship changed because I told you the truth? The truth that, that this law, this, this performance-driven faith won't get you into heaven? Do you hate me now because, because I'm in your business? Oh. Do you hate me now because I'm stepping on your toes? Do you hate me now because I got the audacity to tell you that you're in sin and you may not go to heaven? Paul is like, yeah, I'm in your business. Is that what changed? Because when we enter into family with one another, that means we come into close proximity with one another. And if we're in close proximity, I'm going to know a little bit about your business, and you're going to know a little bit about mine. See, things change when you enter the family. See, when y'all was just visiting grandma's house, when y'all was just coming over, and y'all got married, see, things different now. You may stay a little longer, and they know your business. 
So what is Paul saying? Has our relationship changed because I really know you? Has our relationship changed because I see how false prophets have come in and changed your theology? They want you to, to work for their approval. And because I'm, I'm, I'm contrary to that, all of a sudden you don't want to have anything to do with me? You know, people will count you as an enemy when you tell them the truth. Let you tell someone about their business and see if they get angry. I mean, not this church. I mean, that church down there. Not that forest. Yes, there's a way to tell the truth in love. A lot of times, people get angry not because of what you said, it's how you said it. But however, whether they say it in a good way or not, your sin is sin. Don't front and act like you ain't dabbling in dirt. When they said it, it, it when, when people confront us in our sin, it hits us a certain way. And we automatically get defensive. If my wife tells me and asks me to do something and, and I'm like, what? No. I, I, I say it on the inside. I don't say it on the outside. I'm like, no. I ain't do that. Did I do that? No. Well, I'm not admitting I did it. And the first, our first reaction is, to go hide behind those fig leaves. Our first reaction is to run away from holiness. Our first reaction is to run away from righteousness. Our first move is not towards the holiness of God. It's away from the holiness of God. We, we, we jump in the bushes and get behind our fig leaves and God, but what does God do? He comes and says, where are you, my beloved? He already knows where you are. He just wants you to know that he knows where you are. And he'll begin bringing people in and out of your life just to check on you, just to text you, just to say where you've been. What is God doing? He, this is a family, and he wants us to operate as so. And this has burdened Paul's heart to the point where he says, for whom I am again. He says, I done gave birth to you once. See, but I'll do it again. I am again in anguish of childbirth until what? Until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, I got a purpose with what I'm doing here. I don't just want to be your friend. I don't just want to be your pastor. I want to see you look like Jesus. I want to see you reflect the goodness of Christ. I, I want to see your life look, it look such a way that when people see you, they see Christ. Isn't that part of being a family? You got those husbands and wives who, they, they just been together forever. As long as you know them, they just been together. And after, after a couple been together for so long, I don't know what it is. They just start looking like each other, don't they? Like, oh, y'all so cute. Y'all, y'all dress, got same sweaters on and everything. Y'all just look alike. But isn't that how a family operates? When you spend a lot of time together, you start to look alike. So what, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, look, if you're part of the family, we need to be so close to have spent so much time that we begin looking like our big brother Jesus. Because isn't that the goal, Romans 8? God is working things. We, we like 828, right? 
He's working all things. Uh, we, we like that. But, but, but 29 says he is working to conform us to the image of Christ. Why you got issues in your life? Because he wants you to like Christ. Why you got drama in your life? Because he wants to conform you and shape you to the image of Christ. And he uses those various trials and, and drama to hammer those corners. You know you got rough edges. I got rough edges too. What does God do? He takes those situations and circumstances like a hammer and begins to conform you, to make you fit into God's. See, see, Jesus don't fit into our mold. We fit into his mold. And he begins to shape us, and, and he begins to, he got the nerve to cut off extra. He cut it off in order to make you look like Christ. Paul is talking about a incredible freedom here. One, one author puts it this way. This is the freedom that Paul is talking about. Christ shaping us, molding us, changing us, and forming us into his image so that we might be liberated to experience life in him, for him, through him, by him and with him. That's true freedom. When we're so in tune with Christ that he liberates us out of our issues. Though, though the hurricane may be raging, you're in the middle of the, of the storm. You're right in the center of the eye. You're in a, in a place of peace because you're in Christ. But what does Paul go on to say? He said, but those Judaizers, they're, they're driving a wedge in between me and you. Satan is using them to distance our relationship in order that you won't know the goodness of Christ. Beloved, Satan wants to drive a wedge between our family here. And he will use any means and any method to split us up, to draw us apart. He uses bitterness and gossip and, and, and frustration. He, Satan uses all of those things to divide us in order to get us alone. And then when he gets us alone, he gets his minions and his demons and they jump you. You know, it's when you're in a relationship with God and the family, like Satan can become that third wheel. You, you know that third wheel. You don't never like to be in the third wheel. You're like, you want, you want to go out with us? Like, who's us? Like, me and my woman. Like, you want me to go with y'all? No, nah, I'm straight. I'm not going to go. But Satan says, yeah, I'll go. And y'all get to talking. Y'all get to romance. And Satan just cuts in and steps in between. He begins bringing up old stories. He, he, he begins bringing up old dirt about you in order to shame you in front of, the, of this person. Satan wants to become the third wheel in your relationship in the family. Don't let Satan in. See, the, the family of faith interacts according to grace. Faith fosters family because the same grace we've received is the same grace that we share. See, once the law infiltrates the family, it sets up this false set of standards for acceptance. What does that mean? That means it, within the body of Christ, we can begin to have this tiered type of Christianity. Like we have the, 
the people who 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 know John three sixteen and Psalm twenty three, but then we got the people who 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 don't know anything, and then we begin to look at these people like they're uh, uh, a a a a more pious, acceptable type, and we forget about everybody else. And now we're we're setting up this tiered acceptance because people are behaving and acting how we want them to behave and act. That's not grace. That's not grace. See, faith gives grace, but the law satisfies self. So when we're setting up these false laws for our interactions, we're really not, we're not satisfying God. We're satisfying ourselves. We're satisfying our pride. We want to say that we're such a good Christian, and if people behave like we behave, then they're a good Christian too. It doesn't work like that. I often quote Colossians 1.28. It's a life passage because it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present them mature in Christ. What is Paul saying? I meet people where they are. And I take them where they need to be. See, when when you're a family, exercising grace through faith, then you're patient with one another. This is what Paul is saying. His situation was horrendous, but they didn't say, Paul, 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 you're, you're taking too much of our time, Paul. Paul, we can't be worried about your issues all the time, Paul. We got life to live, Paul. No, they exercise patience. Paul, what do you mean? How can we serve you? But not only do they exercise patience, they exercise love. Just common love. Paul is in a, a broken situation. But instead of kicking him out of the town, they brought him in their home and served him. Beloved, see, I'm just 100. The, the truth is, many of us here this morning, we're part of a family, but you don't know how to be a family. In order to be a family, we have to exercise faith by grace in order to have patience and love for one another. When we, when we are operating as a, as a body of Christ, that his grace has so amazed us that we're willing to put up with some stuff. That we're willing to go out of our way. That we're, hey, hey, we're willing to give up our seat to a visitor because we want them to experience worship as well as we do in our seat. We're willing to help someone with food. We're willing to help someone with their car, with rides. Matter of fact, we're just willing to learn someone's name. That's what a family does. If I don't know your name, and you're part of the family, find out somebody's name. Like, what up, cuz? Uh, I know we family. I don't know your name, but I know we family. What's up? See, being a part of God's family applies your acceptance by the Father. See, because God has accepted me, I don't don't necessarily have to worry about anybody else accepting me. But if the Father can accept me, surely you can accept me. That's grace. That's grace. Justification by faith changes how we relate to God, but it also changes how we relate to one another. 
Faith fosters family through God. But then second point quickly, Paul closes this chapter in the same way that he began by pointing back to Abraham, this, the great patriarch. And just as they were trying to realize the promise of acceptance by God through human effort, Abraham tried to do the same thing, didn't he? And he, in verse 21, Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What did he say? Y'all who want to try to live by the law, don't you read your Bible? Because if you read your Bible, back in Genesis, God is telling us about this very situation. In Genesis, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would give him a child, a, a, a seed that would establish an entire heir and family for him. But God wasn't moving fast enough for Abraham and Sarah. So they decided to take things into their own hands. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You ever been waiting for God and God ain't, he just ain't going fast enough. So you say, I'm going to take this in my own hands. Abraham decides to do the work himself. Well, actually, Sarah, Sarah says to Abraham, you know what? I have a slave. Her name is Hagar. I can't have children. But why don't you go into her? Have, have sexual relationships with my slave in order that we may have an heir. She took everything into her own hands. And what did Abraham do? Oh, okay. Like, dude, you don't do that. But what happens? Hagar has Ishmael. He is a son of the flesh. He is a son of human effort, human work. See, Ishmael is what happened when you try to do it by yourself. And God says, Abraham, you don't have Ishmael being diso disobedient, but that's not how you're going to have an heir. It's not going to happen by flesh. It's going to happen supernaturally because of my grace. You just have to have faith. And what happens years later, Sarah has Isaac. While Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah's 90. See, that's supernatural because that's impossible in human terms. That's God wants to do the impossible in your life, and you trying to do it by, by human effort. God wants to do what you can't do, so stop trying to do what you do. Because deliverance don't come by our hand. Deliverance comes by God. And, and Isaac comes, and Isaac is born, and, and when he is weaned, and when they're getting ready to celebrate Isaac, Ishmael's over in the corner looking at him, laughing at him. So what does Sarah say to Abraham? You have to cast out the slave woman. Because her son would try to be the heir, but he's not God's rightful heir. Isaac is. So Paul uses that whole scenario as an allegory, as a as figurative speech to, to show just what's going on. Hagar represents the flesh. She represents uh, doing it her own way. Ishmael represents taking things into your own hands. And he, he even has the audacity, this would have been crazy, where he says, Hagar is Mount Sinai. You say that to a good Jew? You know Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments came? Where God met them and established them as a people? And you saying that we slaves? Don't you know we're free? Well, he goes on to say, she's Hagar in Arabia. Well, if you read your Bible right, you would know when you was in Arabia, you still weren't in the promised land, was you? You still wasn't delivered, was you? According to the flesh. 
but Sarah represents grace. Isaac represents the promise. Sarah represents the promised land, entry into God's new kingdom. As a matter of fact, she represents the new Jerusalem, the one that's going to come out of heaven, establish rule and reign here on earth. That's, that's the free city right there. And then Paul says, rejoice, O barren, on who does not bear. What is he saying? Paul is saying, for the one who can't have children, for the one that this is impossible, God is the one who's going to bring about faith. God is the one who's going to bring about increase. So you don't have to worry about trying to accomplish this on your own. God is going to accomplish this through you. You just trust him. As a matter of fact, when you trust and believe God, though everybody else may be having children, he says, but your children are going to be even more. That's supernatural. That's supernatural. Faith binds the family together by taking our brokenness and using it for God's glory. See, the family of God is built by grace, not by works. Grace is for the barren. Grace is for failures. We want grace, but we don't want to admit that we're barren. We want grace, but we don't want to admit that we're failures. But from here, Paul says, there's two families. Will you be part of Hagar's line, or will you be part of Sarah's line? Will you be born into slavery, or will you be set free? See, when we choose the law, that's when we lack patience or are easily frustrated. We're choosing the law. But when we choose grace, we allow love to cover a multitude of sins. So what does Paul do? He finishes up here in verse 31. He says, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We're free. We're free. Paul is saying, if the triune God of the universe says you're free, then you're free. He says that God the Father sought your freedom from eternity past. That he already laid hold of it and merely needs to accomplish it. Then he said, God the Son is the one who secured your freedom and coming and dying upon Calvary's cross, living the sinless life and shedding his blood on your behalf. But then he says, God, the Holy Spirit is the one who seals your freedom. He's the one that reminds you who you belong to. He's the one that shows you the paperwork when you get it twisted. Who you belong to the Father. You know, over the years, I've met a number of families who pursue international adoption. And it is a long and tedious process. It's full of ups and full of downs, full of paperwork, regulations, financial difficulties, uncertainty. But you know what? Once that child is declared to be part of that family, every single person said it was worth it. Once that child is declared by the judge to be part of that new family, it, every bit of sweat and tears was worth it. It was a costly adoption, but it was worth it. 
See, in becoming a part of God's family, it's costly as well. But we don't have to do anything but wait for Jesus to come get us. Jesus, he's done all the paperwork. He's obeyed all 613 commands. And before God, he is a sinless sacrifice. See, Jesus, he's put in all the time and effort because Jesus was working this plan out before eternity passed. There hasn't been a moment when you haven't been the twinkling in God's eye. Jesus is the one who removes all uncertainty and doubt because he has declared when he got up for the grave, all power is in my hands. Jesus just says, come on. Be a part of the family. To be adopted by God is to be accepted into an entirely new family by grace. By grace. What a glorious truth that your acceptance before God is not dependent upon what you bring to the table. Your acceptance before God is not dependent on how much knowledge you have of the scriptures. Not how much you tithe on a Sunday. Your acceptance is squarely dependent upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we look to Jesus, when we say, I'm no longer living for myself. I'm no longer going to try to fake and act like I'm part of the church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be barren and I'm going to be a failure and I'm going to be the one in need of grace. When we turn from putting on a front to trusting in Christ, he then bears the weight, he bears the wrath, and he brings us into the family. What a relief. What a relief. Beloved, slaves obey out of duty. Sons obey out of devotion. Only those united with Christ by faith, are part of God's family. Those who trust in Jesus belong to God. So my question today is, are you a child of God? Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us what it means to be a family by faith. Lord, I ask that by grace you would accomplish an amazing work in us that we would relate with one another in such a way that everyone would look upon our lives and see Christ. That men, women, boys, and girls would come into the knowledge of Jesus through our lives and through our witness. So, Father, I ask that you would have mercy on the one today that is struggling, the one who is on the fence about whether to trust in you. Lord, I ask that today would be the day of salvation. Father, I ask that you would take your word, you would apply it to our hearts, and you would bring forth much growth. For you have promised that your word would accomplish much. It does not go out in vain. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. You know, salvation is not merely... Marked by doing what God commands, it manifests itself in an intimacy with God and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ.
Salvation cannot be restricted to a one-time